Don't resist God because of bad circumstances. You run to God and depend upon God in the midst of those bad circumstances. And as leaders, we have to come alongside of people who are in the midst of that. Let them feel and see hope and help. Welcome to Living a Legacy, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Crawford Lorenz. Well, the Christians in 1 Peter chapter 5 needed that hope and help from their spiritual leaders. They were undergoing tremendous persecution from the Roman government. Peter's letter to the believers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia was to encourage them to stand strong in the hope of Christ and the promise of heaven. Peter also challenged their spiritual leaders to lead with much care, reflecting the desired destination. Well, today we wrap up a multi-week series called Navigating Life's Challenges. We'll hear the second half of last week's message titled, Leaders Who Care. Now, the principles we find in 1 Peter chapter 5 will be extremely helpful for those preparing to be spiritual leaders today. Crawford has served in Christian leadership for over 50 years, working with Campus Crusade for Christ, Family Life Today, and most recently was pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. The Living a Legacy messages come from his time at Fellowship. Now in retirement, Crawford heads the leadership training ministry beyond our generation. Well, stay with us for a look at what it takes to be an effective leader during times of great adversity. Again, our text is 1 Peter chapter 5. At the end of our time together, I'll have information on how to hear these messages again or download them to your phone, tablet, or computer. Here's Crawford Loretz on Living a Legacy. If you're going to be a leader, a biblical leader, then of necessity, you've got to be the portrait of the desired destination. No, 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 no. It's not about powering up. It's not about the big nameplate. Not about the prominent parking spot. Not about people calling you by this or calling you by that. It's not, oh, no, 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 no. Who you are, who you are has to eclipse your titles and has to eclipse all of that stuff. Who you are, your character, your godliness, your humility, all of that. You need to be a portrait. Are you deficient in your modeling? Are you an example of where the church needs to be? Be an example to the flock. Your hope giver. In the midst of their struggles and their pain, they want to give up. They see the elders on their knees. They see the elders claiming the promises of God. They see the elders sharing their faith. They see the elders discipling people. I can do this. We shepherd by being models. Then we also shepherd with this in mind. We look to Jesus for our reward. Peter understood the, the whole syndrome of the loneliness of leadership, and I would be lying to you. There, there, is, there is that to it. I had somebody say to me the other day, Crawford, I can never, and they, and they say, people tell me this all the time, I can never do what you do. And I don't mean, I, and I turn and say to them, I can't do what you do. <laughs> what I'm trying to say, with calling comes capacity. And with calling comes the resources to fulfill that calling. Uh, there's no such thing as anybody ever not needing leadership. Everybody, if they're breathing, needs to be led. And if they're not, they're going to end up at a very bad place. I don't care if you're 85 years old. 
But what he's saying here is that, look, look, you, this is a reminder, verse 4, he talks about the chief shepherd, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. I, I think he mentions chief shepherd for a couple of reasons. Uh, and it doesn't say this, but I think in context he's talking about this is a reference to Jesus as the ultimate shepherd, and a reminder of your accountability. Uh, Crawford, careful, buddy. You're accountable. This is the flock of God, not yours. You're accountable. The chief shepherd is going to appear. But I also think he references that in terms of the Christ-like leadership we need to execute. We do need to lead like Jesus. Just as Jesus loves, just as Jesus cares, just as Jesus sacrificed. We need to lead that way. The chief shepherd. Elsewhere, Jesus prophetically is called in Ezekiel the true shepherd. In John 10, he's called the good shepherd. In Hebrews 11, 13, 20, he's called the great shepherd. Point being, we need to be like him and we're accountable to him. And then the line that uh, our work is going to be rewarded. You've got to believe that. So when he says, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's why you work hard. You don't do it purely for the affirmation of others. And don't get me wrong, the encouragement is wonderful, the emails are great, the kind words are wonderful, that, that is, that's good. But you don't primarily lead for that reason. As a follower of Jesus, distinctively Christian leadership, what makes our leadership as Christians resilient and noble is because the reward is pure. The focus is on a reward that cannot be taken away. And Peter says, no, you, you are doing this because you're going to stand before God, and he's going to look at you and say, man, you didn't mail it in. You showed up. Tears streaming down your cheeks, but you pressed in. Well done. Well done. So, we shepherd. We shepherd them. But what else do we do? Well, we, we serve with humility. That's what verse 5 is all about. I suppose Peter has been leading up to this statement. He says in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Now, I, he's basically saying two things. He's, okay, like, you younger ones, uh, shh, shh, shh. learn to submit. Learn to submit. Authority is not a nasty word. You got energy, you got insights, and all of that. But you know what? You just need to learn to submit. But then he says, all of you, clothe yourselves in humility. That, that word clothe comes from a Greek word that is really marvelous. It's a word, actually the word is enkomboma. The root word there was a reference to the apron of a slave. Most scholars believe that Peter is really referring to the upper room when Jesus washed the feet of the disciples. When he undressed himself and the wrapping of the towel around him was to symbolize a slave's apron. And he got down on his knees 
and he washed the feet of the disciples. You, you see what he's saying about leadership here? So he's saying here, you, you serve. The greatest joy of a leader is to make people better. You serve. You use whatever influence you have, whatever experiences you have, whatever recognition you have, whatever you've done, and you focus that. And you take the three-piece suit, and you throw it aside, take off the Allen Edmonds, and you, you get down on your knees with a slave apron on. And you serve. You serve. And I think there's something more here when he says, all of you, He's saying, you know, younger ones and older ones, all of you. In other words, humility bridges the generation gaps. I could go off on this because I actually believe the division that's in our culture today, I think we're missing it. We say, well, there's a more racial division. I think it's manifesting itself in the racial separation, but I think there's a bigger reason for the division in our culture today. I think the segmentation of our markets and the segmentations of our society that we have bought into has created these isolated islands. Now, I'm no sociologist, and this may be above my pay grade, but my armchair observation is that, you know, our overemphasis on the characteristics of the millennials, I know they exist, and our overemphasis is on what characterizes the boomers, and, and our overemphasis on what this group is about and what this group is about and all of this, and because we're not talking to each other, but we've elevated those, those distinctives and, and separated ourselves from one another, arrogance has set in, and we're just talking past each other other. We need to humble ourselves. Humility, press toward those people. And this is what, this is what he's talking about here. And then he's talking about millennials and stuff here, but he's talking about this whole attitude. Humble yourself. You do know God opposes the proud, don't you? That word opposes literally is sets himself against. I would encourage all of us here Watch the pride barometer in your heart and life. The quickest way for God to come after us is to stay in a prideful place. You really don't want that. And watch the entitlement barometer in your life. Watch the statements like, I deserve this, particularly as leaders. I've learned this in recent years, and I, I, I watch myself with this. If you're a leader, people tend to be a, lo a lot more deferential towards you. They do. But you, you know, it's harder to deal with privileges than it is to deal with deprivation. And the real test of a leader is not how he functions when he doesn't have what he thinks he needs. The real test of a leader is how does he handle the plenty that's been given to him? That's the test of a leader. What does he do with it? So, Peter starts summarizing now all that he's written. He's addressed these leaders, but I would say in a secondary sense, I really believe that in context, Peter wants his leaders to keep their eyes on these three big priorities as he summarizes his book. This is what he's tried to say. And I do believe that these three priorities is what Peter's summarizing, verses 6 to 11. He says the big picture is you need to prepare people for adversity. 
and attack. Uh, first of all, he says, you need to uh, help them to understand that they need to place their cares on him. Here in verse, verse 6, he says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now, the, this is a continuation of the sentence, okay? This is how you to humble yourself, by casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I want to argue that there's a little bit of a difference between the humility mentioned in verse, uh, verse 5 and the humility mentioned in verse 6. The humility mentioned in verse 5 is a general attitude of servanthood. The humility mentioned in verse 6 is very specific. I think what Peter is talking about here is resisting God in the context of adverse circumstances. Don't resist God in the context of adverse circumstances. I know I'm talking to somebody here today. I said this earlier here. When there's pressure, when there's problem, when there's adversity, when things don't work out the way we want them to work out, the very first place to go is, look, I'm entitled, God. Look, I've been a good person. I've prayed. I take care of my kids. I pay my bills on time. I'm a good neighbor. I do all of this stuff. How in the world, how come all this stuff is happening? Well, the problem is we start fighting the circumstances. And what Peter is saying, no, 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 don't do that. Don't resist God because of bad circumstances. You run to God and depend upon God in the midst of those bad circumstances. Thus he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. In other words, the same God that lets you go into adversity is the one who will lift the adversity. And the reason, and here again, I think the text justifies this because then he says, by casting all your cares on him, or you're in a situation that you just can't get out of. You wish that this hadn't happened. There's no relief. What do I do if I keep complaining about it and getting upset about it? I'm going to be depressed and discouraged. But what I need to do is keep casting those cares on him until I get through. And as leaders, we have to come alongside of people who are in the midst of that. Let them feel and see hope and help and speak words of hope and help. Secondly, you said you need to stand firm against the devil. Verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. Listen, listen, listen. I want to point out something here. You ever wonder why he doesn't use the word Satan? Why does he use the word devil? You know what the word devil means? It's the name of Satan that means slanderer. And I think the reason why Peter used this is to refer to a certain kind of persecution that they were going through. Nero and all these other folks in the Roman Empire, they were lying on these Christians, saying things that weren't true about them. Unjustified attacks. And by the way, Let's all be very careful about, about saying things about folks that we do not have rock-solid truth to back up. You make an accusation or a conclusion about something that's not, someone that's not based upon truth, that's very damning and, dam and devastating, and we play into the hands of the devil. But who of us has not done that? We saw something that we thought was this, they did this, or we thought this, and then we make a conclusion that's not accurate. And so he says, the devil's going about like a roaring lion. So what do you do? What do you do? 
Well, there are two things that I think he's saying here. We respect him. You respect him. Thus the word picture, like a roaring lion. Yeah, you better respect the devil. And don't engage him unless you're spiritually prepared for the battle. You respect him. But then secondly, you resist him. Firm in your faith. Know what you believe and why you believe it. In other words, take your stand on God's word and refuse to move. And I say this a lot here, but this is another reason why. I tell you, you got to be careful. If you're letting your Bible get dust on it, you're actually thinning out your resistance. You got to know the book. You got to be able to say, thus saith the Lord. And the final one is to keep your eyes on the outcome. As spiritual leaders, this is what we, we, we need to do is help people to go like this. Come on. Lift your eyes above the shadow. Get, get your eyes above that horizon. He says here in verse 10, and I'm almost done. He says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal uh, glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I'm going to take a little bit of a, of a departure from what a number, maybe majority of commentators suggest. They say that Peter's talking about heaven here. I, 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 I don't think he is. And it's not wrong if you want to take that view. The reason why I don't think he is is because of the verbs, verbs that he used. Why do I need to be established, strengthened, and, and uh, uh, confirmed in heaven? No, I think what he's talking about here is that, that on the other side of the suffering down here, keep your eyes on what this is going to produce in you, the Christ-like maturity, the stuff that's there. And as spiritual leaders, you've got to help people think that way, and you've got to think that way. Let me, let me close by just making, uh, listing four attitudes, I think, that we need to maintain as we talk about leadership, relating to spiritual leadership. The first one is to accept and acknowledge that we need to be led. And stop fighting the fact that we need to be led. Accept it. I need to be led. We all need to be led. Accept that. And I think number two is to pray for your leaders. You see, the, the problem with spiritual leadership is that none of us are, walks on water. You know, I mean, I'm an under-shepherd, but I'm sheep too. And you need to pray for us. We don't do things perfectly. Uh, and we need you to help us. And I think thirdly, um, submit to your leaders. Submit to them. And by this, and I hope this comes across the right way, you need to give leaders the benefit of the doubt. And let me get more specific. Sometimes, you know, I think leaders need to be transparent. We need to focus on transparency. Things need to be open. And we, we, need, to, we need to be questioned. We need to be held accountable. I, that's all I, I, wonderful. That is important. Sometimes it's painful, but it's important. And there have been some of you who have pointed out some inconsistencies along the way and this kind of things. And I read the email and I go, ouch, but it's right. And so that's important. But let me just share with you this. Sometimes as leaders, we know more than we can share. 
And you need to respect that. There are things that we just can't share because there are nuances and other people can be hurt by it. It's not that anybody's trying to keep some secret or do anything that, or whatever. I, I don't have anything specific in mind other than just years of being around leadership and people demanding to know things that if they shared that, people would be crushed or hurt and you couldn't handle that degree of disclosure. It's not that we're trying to be closed or anything. In fact, we're doing our responsibility before God. And then finally, Encourage your leaders. Help us help you by loving and encouraging one another. At the end of the day, the one who leads, it's about sacrifice. At the end of the day, the one who is being led, it's about submission. You can't even be a follower of Jesus unless there's submission. Have you ever thought about that? You can't even be, you can't even be a Christian unless you say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn from my sin and I surrender to you. Maybe you need to hear that today. Have you done that? The irony is this ain't sales speech here. The irony is, when you do that, you will experience a freedom that you never knew existed. Because that's the portrait of leadership. It's to free us to be everything God created us to be. Father, thank you for your goodness, and thank you for your presence, and thank you for the power of your word, and thank you, Lord God. Will you help us, O oh Lord? I pray that there will be a seamless, loving relationship uh, between us and our responsibility to serve, to love, to model, to encourage, and the vision that you've given to all of us, Lord. Father, use us as your body. May we walk close to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Dr. Crawford Loretz here on Living a Legacy, Leaders Who Care, the title of today's message. Here again are those four attitudes that Crawford closed with relating to spiritual leadership. Number one, accept and acknowledge that we need to be led. Number two, pray for your leaders. Number three, submit to your leaders. And number four, encourage your leaders. And with that, we wrap up Crawford's series, Navigating Life's Challenges, based on the book of 1 Peter. It was given during Crawford's 15-year ministry as senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. Now, if you weren't able to join us for all of the messages in the series, they can be heard on our website. Stop by livingalegacy.org and look for the link Past Programs. Or you can download all of the messages to your computer, phone, or tablet for free. Look for the MP3 link at livingalegacy.org. Your feedback is always welcome. Let us know how God is using these Living a Legacy messages to help you make progress in your walk with Christ. Look for the contact link at livingalegacy.org. Well, thanks for being part of our study today. For Crawford Loritz, I'm Bill Davis. This program is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.